0: Welcome to the Cherry Beckert Tax Beat, a conversation about tax that matters.
1: Welcome to the Cherry Beckert Tax Beat podcast. Today is September 15th, 2021. And today's topic is tax highlights and surprises contained in the draft legislation language released earlier this week. For the 3.5 trillion dollar infrastructure bill including proposed changes to the corporate tax rates individual tax rates more international tax changes and a host of other provisions joining me today will be my lovely co-host sarah mcgregor from greenville south carolina and also brian dill our international tax partner in atlanta georgia so sarah mcgregor how's life treating you
2: Life is great. I love having some final, um, at least legislative language to look at for uh, new tax law. That's very exciting.
1: And did you have a rough September 15th deadline, Sarah?
2: I actually went relatively smoothly this, this year, which I'm uh, very happy to say.
1: Well, better, good for you, not so good for me. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. All right. So let's press on here. Uh, earlier this week on September 13th, Congressman Neal, who's chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, released preview language of the Build Back Better Act reconciliation bill, again, informally referred to as a $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill. Subsequent to that, very shortly thereafter, I should say, the Joint Committee on Taxation also released scoring on the estimated budget effects of this proposed legislation. So many provisions in this draft are familiar to us from President Biden's earlier American Jobs Plan, American Families Plan, which were released March 31 and April 28th of this year, respectively, as well as the Treasury's Green Book, uh, which was released May 28th and gave a lot more uh, flesh and detail to the original plans. Proposed language gives us even more details into what we're looking going to be looking at. All right, so today we're going to focus our discussion on the on wide range of selected highlights and surprises Uh, we're going to do this in a survey style we're not going to dive too dive too deep we'll save detailed analysis you know by topic for later podcasts Um, but we'll try to give our ins you know insights on a broad range of the bigger ticket items and a familiar caveat uh, we're not going to be going directly into the spending side of this bill. We're a tax podcast, so that's where we're gonna focus our attention. All right, so to start us off, Sarah, why don't you give a brief overview of where we are in the legislative process with this bill, as well as the, one, the minor $1 trillion infrastructure bill? So this
2: bill, the 3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, uh, it right now is in the House Ways and Means Committee, they are considering this bill they are doing their markups or making changes to it striking items adding items the committee itself is making changes to the draft that was proposed and presented by representative Neal. at the same time so it's still in committee and their hope and plan is to have it out of committee and to the house members uh, by the 15th we'll see that's a that's a date they internally set it's Not a um, a a steadfast date, but the the plan was to hopefully have it out by this time. Um, Then the House will be able to vote on it. Representative Pelosi has said that uh, she'd like to have the vote before the end of September, thinking in terms of around the 27th. We'll see if everybody can make those goals. The 1.2 million dollar trillion dollar infrastructure bill that has bipartisan support that came out of the senate and is now in the house uh, would be voted on at the same time so they'd like to see both bills passed by the house uh, it, by the end of this month that's a lot to accomplish a lot to to reconcile there at the same time once once it's through the house it goes over to the senate and the senate finance committee uh, w- will either introduce their own bills take those uh, if there is a markup session very similar to what is going on this week in the in the House Ways and Means Committee, they will be adding their proposals, making edits and changes to the version that, that would then be brought out of committee to the Senate floor to be voted on. Then if there are differences between those two, the House version and the Senate version, there would be a reconciliation of those versions put together for final approval. Uh, this, again, is set so that the Senate can vote on a straight up majority, does not have to get a 60 percent uh, a 60-vote majority to win and pass this, it can be passed on a simple 51-vote uh, majority with the vice president casting that that 51st and deciding vote, if it comes down to it. So there's still a lot of negotiation that needs to go on so that this uh, bill that comes out of the um, House Ways and Means Committee will be in a shape that can also get approval from the uh, uh, Democrats in in the Senate and get their votes. So much more to be done before these bills are finished, but it certainly is our first uh, real pieces of legislation uh, uh, language out of the House to explain where they want to go with tax to pay for the President Biden's plans to provide for Uh, green energy and uh, support for families um, as part of his his agenda
1: so said simply lots more horse trading to be done but a lot more knowledge to be gained by seeing the detailed draft legislation Uh, can we just backtrack just briefly on the one trillion dollar plan There seems to be a lot of bipartisan support for that. We're caught up in a little bit of politics about how you get one bill without two bills at the same time. But uh, briefly, uh, your take on what are the major tax consequences uh, contained in that bill?
2: Uh, There were not a a significant number of tax increases and and items in that bill. It was really more designed towards spending. Uh, One of the areas that was focused on in there is the virtual currency and how more information reporting is going to be called for in that bill if it's passed as it is. That's caused some general uh, concerns in the uh, industry and among those as to how they're going to comply with those new rules, Um, but it's designed to help uh, provide more information and uh, squeeze that tax gap between the tax that taxpayers should be paying and what they are actually paying.
1: And wasn't there also an ERC provision in there?
2: That's right. That's right. The other is that the employee retention credit brought first into being in the CARES Act would be um, stopped as of September 30. Right now, it is set to expire at December 31, but if the infrastructure bill, the $1.2 infrastructure bill, sorry, trillion uh, infrastructure bill is passed as it is currently written, it will terminate the employee retention credit ERC as of September 30.
1: A billion, a trillion. Uh, what's, what's the difference between the, between friends, Sarah? That's right. Let's go back to the three trillion dollar infrastructure bill. Uh, let's start with the corporate tax rate. Corporate tax rate increases are the single single largest line item as scored by the Joint Committee on Taxation in this bill. The rates, this deviates from the prior proposals of a flat rate increase, uh, which is also where we currently are with a flat rate moving towards or proposed to move towards a graduated rate system, 18% for the first 400,000, 21% from there to 5 million, uh, 26.5% Thereafter, and at 10 million, you start uh, reaching back to recapture the benefit of the lower brackets. Uh, personal service corps, uh, notably, would have the high 26.5% flat uh, bracket. All right, Sarah, what are your comments on this?
2: Uh, well, it's certainly better than the 28 percent, which was originally plo- uh, proposed by the American uh, Jobs Plan, and uh, is certainly also better than the 21 percent for those corporate entities earning less than uh, 400,000 of taxable income. So there's there's good on both ends of this. It does raise the overall tax rate uh, to 26.5, but that's still much better than where we started before TCGA at uh, 34 or 35 percent.
1: And I'll just say it does seem a little more equitable uh, with this progressive approach uh, for the smaller taxpayers. So I, I do I do like the addition of that into it. So let's move on to high income individuals. Uh, large section of uh, provisions uh, aimed towards, quote, high income individuals. Uh, the series of these proposals are almost double the effect of the corporate tax rate increase when you take them together. Uh, the, to no surprise, introducing the highest bracket of 39.6, which is consistent with what we've been hearing. Uh, the levels, 450000 joint uh, for joint taxpayers, 400000 for single, 12500 for estates and trusts, effective uh, 2022 So Sarah, what are, what's your take on these? Uh,
2: what is interesting is that these rates are now, the higher tax rate of 39.6 is applied at a level that is below where... Uh, the american families plan had proposed that under biden's plan it was going to start at around 500,000 for mary foley jointly and this drops it down to 450 so definitely and um, a surprise there that they're they're incorporating more taxpayers into this highest tax bracket the other is the small gap between uh, single filers and married filers only a fifty thousand dollars of income difference and that uh, brings back in what many people would call a marriage penalty that those who are married are paying at a higher overall rate than if uh, then two single people would be paying on the same same amount of taxable income
1: I agree that seems uh it seems unfair seems like that needs to be addressed I don't know if that was an oversight or not but Uh, that it just doesn't seem like that's going to make it through to me. But, all right, so let's uh, talk about capital gains. Uh, They've proposed a rate from 20 to 25 percent for long-term capital gains, which by definition also captures qualified dividend income. Uh, So what are your thoughts on that, Sarah? Uh,
2: This is quite a relief to uh, just see an increase to only 25 percent versus going up to the highest tax bracket at 39.6 uh that's definitely going to be beneficial to uh taxpayers who have those large term capital gains again it's going to kick in those uh that maximum rate is going to kick in at lower thresholds but uh at least we don't have to go to ordinary income tax rates and and brooks i think you're going to mention that three percent um surcharge a little bit later but uh, that really needs to float in here, too, to be thinking about the overall tax rate and increase that 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 an individual, a high net worth earner is going to be looking at.
1: Uh, kind of an interesting uh, play on the effective date on this. Uh, what do you see in that, sir?
2: The effective date. That's a great question, Brooks. The green book that came out in uh, the late May, early summer suggested that the effective date would be back in April for this particular provision now with this proposed legislation we have in hand the 25 percent rate is effective after the date the legislation is introduced that date appears to be september 13 the monday when this draft reconciliation bill was presented to the house ways and means committee for markup this effective date is already passed as well and does not leave space for taxpayers to plan or take actions hopefully this date can be negotiated and pushed back to January 1, 2022, when so many of the other rate increases go into effect.
1: So, capital gains rate also have a, a direct interplay with the carry interest rules. Um, so, how do you see that happening?
2: Right. So, the carried interest rules, those are the four uh, partnership interests or other pastor interests that that will qualify under this rule. Uh, they're changing for high-income earners. It's going to move to from a three-year required hold holding period to get the long-term capital gains rates to a five-year holding period to earn the capital gains rates. There are a couple of exceptions for real estate businesses um, and for smaller and and those in the lower income brackets. Uh, they will not be back continue with that three-year holding.
1: And there was a uh, what I call a sneak attack on. Uh very popular section 1202 provisions here uh your thoughts on that uh,
2: again we're looking at those high income earners uh, and limiting the benefits that are under the tax law for them there will be continue to be a 50 percent gain exclusion for all taxpayers but the higher um, exclusions of 75 or 100 percent are not going to be available to taxpayers over earning um, more than four hundred thousand dollars or four hundred fifty thousand dollars of income
1: and, and, and just to reset, 1202 uh, works with the sell of corporate entities in certain situations, uh, uh, reducing the gain. Uh, another thing that struck me in the capital gain sections here is that, uh, and I think in a positive way, that the provisions, the punitive uh, provisions on like-kind exchanges are not shown up here. So there's no provision in here to limit the availability of like-kind exchanges. Uh, that we saw in some of the prior uh, proposals. All right, so uh, let's move on to net investment income tax. They've expanded that to business income, um, all business income for the most part, not in, in addition to investment income if you're in this high income uh, individual category. So, exactly what does that mean, Sarah?
2: Yeah, they mentioned this earlier and there was a um, discussion of it in the Green Book. The idea here is that. Um, for high income earners with pass-through, in income coming from pass-through entities. Uh, for those, particularly for S-Corporations, it's long been understood that S-Corporation distributions of income are not self-employment income. They don't face that self-employment tax. If you were not active in the business, you also did not, you, you were subject to the net investment income tax. But if you were active in the S-Corporation business, then you were not subject to net investment income tax. So you were able to avoid what is essentially the Medicare tax portion that that, uh, employees and uh, self-employed individuals pay. This proposal is designed to level the playing field, again, for high income earners Uh, as defined to say, look, everybody, uh, whatever kind of income you're earning, you're either going to uh, be paying the net investment income tax, or you're going to be paying the self-employment tax and the 0.9% Medicare, uh, additional Medicare tax, just to label the playing field for all of that income flowing out of uh, pass-through, pass-through businesses.
1: So, I'll just add, there is a another surprise provision that was put in here which is the ability for S-Corps to have a tax-free reorganization within a temporary period to get to partnerships so kind of um, if they're going to put this uh, put this penalty at the net investment income tax they're allowing you to at least move back to a partnership uh, tax-free. So, yeah, it uh, was
2: only for uh, only for a limited number of S corporations have this. so it must be a special provision for someone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't tell and haven't seen in the, in the news uh, right. who this this provision is designed for.
1: Yeah, sure. All right. So you know one of the big things for tax reform was the section 199 cap A deduction also called the 20% pass through income deduction on qualified business income. Um, So they're basically disallowing this for the high income individuals. Sarah, you got a comment on that?
2: That's right. This is gonna be a real uh, penalty cost for those uh, pass through businesses that are turning out large amounts of income to their owners, uh, limiting that 20% deduction of the income and thereby reducing that uh, uh, tax rate. So when you're looking at uh, these very profitable, uh, closely held businesses that are pass-through entities, the the owners are really going to be hammered. Uh, you've got an increase in tax rates. You've got limitation on the 199A deduction. You've got an increase in uh, the debt investment income tax. Uh, you've got the three percent surcharge tax coming on top of it. It really is going to have, make these owners of these individ- of pass-through businesses think about whether to go back to a c corporation setting uh, depending on whether you distribute out all the income or not even distributing that out you're back into a almost a common playing field now so maybe you want to consider uh, looking at the c corporation setting for these kinds of uh, uh pass-through businesses that are throwing off income to higher high income earners
1: all right so that kind of goes on the income side they did uh, again, to no surprise, put in the disallowance of excess business losses for non-corporate taxpayers, kind of a, a complicated regime that was introduced. So I don't think there's a whole lot to be said on that one. But as you've alluded to a couple times, this new 3% surcharge on all AGI, over $5 million joint uh, and 2.5 million single. So they got the math right on that one, at least, Sarah. But what's your take on this 3% surcharge?
2: Uh, you know, there were floating, Brooks, you remember there were floating around some ideas about a wealth tax and uh, taxing individuals based on the amount of assets and the value of the assets they they own. I think this may be a nod in that direction. It's still going to be an income tax based charge, but it is um, going to be more on those that are that are recognizing um, significant amounts of wealth. Of, of income on a tax return it will hit those in that year you sell your company you have the big gains realized it is going to be that extra hit of income in those tax years for those taxpayer for for taxpayers in that bucket uh, but for uh, it's also really just designed to hit those high income taxpayers but it's it's going to hurt absolutely
1: and speaking of the you know really wealthy the high wealth group, uh, let me throw out a couple of the estate and gift tax provisions that showed up here. Um, they uh, went back and said, we're going to uh, reverse the estate and gift tax uh, increased exemption and go back to the $5 million per individual. Uh, this gets away from a very complicated concept that they had introduced in some of the prior proposals of a capital gain on your income tax return at death and some other uh, trust scenarios, which was going to be very uh, complex to uh, to understand, as well as from a practical uh, perspective, implement. So going back to a traditional approach uh, and just moving the exemption down to five, five million, uh, Sarah gets millions and billions and trillions. This is 5 million, Sarah. Uh, They also uh, came out with two, I think, kind of surprises, took a I call it taking a hammer. Uh, they got rid of the valuation discount for non-business assets, uh, taking, taking a strike at the uh, common family limited partnership technique to get a valuation discount on investment assets, and uh, also inclusion of assets that are in a grantor trust. And again, another very common state uh, device, intentionally defective uh, grantor trust. Uh, any comments on these estate provisions, Sarah?
2: I, I would say that um, <clears throat> with respect to the lifetime exemption falling back from its current $11.7 million or $12 million, whatever it is this year per person, uh, back to $5 million, For those individuals who have not already taken steps to use those uh, amounts, they should really think about doing it, uh, doing something within those parameters. The other is, even for more moderate estates in, and family wealth, this still brings the opportunity to do something now, looking at these proposed changes in uh, trusts and valuations um, that certainly should warrant taking a look at, even if you're not in that 11 to $24 million of, of estate value and ability to move those. So, Brooks, there were some things going on in retirement plans, uh, both for for high net worth individuals with IRAs as well as for companies um, and and providing plans for employers. You want to highlight a couple of those?
1: I mean these rules get really complex and uh, I can remember many years ago they kind of brought in some of these concepts but if you're getting over 10 million dollars in your retirement plan balances uh, they're saying no IRA contributions and even more problematic is a potential substantial, and I mean, really substantial increase in required minimum distributions uh, each year. Uh, I again, this is gonna be very complicated if it goes through on this and the, just really some potential huge tax impacts for people who are fortunate enough to find themselves in those situations. Um, the other thing uh, they eliminate or they're proposing to eliminate the backdoor Roth conversions. Uh, this looks like it has an effective date that's pushed out for a while, and it only apply for these high-income uh, high uh, taxpayers, but um, I would just say that's an extremely popular tech- technique right now. Uh, I think somebody has finally gotten smart up in Washington. Uh, every time they've tried to score some income to pass legislation, they make it easier to convert to Roth because you get a short-term pickup in income as people make their conversions and uh, they give away so much on the back end and i think now they're looking at it you know holistically in a much bigger picture and trying to take some of that back because there's huge leakage of tax that's going to go on as all these roths keep continuing to uh, build up um there are also a couple of provisions limiting uh the assets that you can own in the ira even further uh narrowing down the definition of what who has a substantial interest down to 10 percent or being an officer there's been a lot of fraud in this area through the years so they uh and abuse i think so they continue to clamp down on that all right sir what about um um a couple other provisions here we will highlight before we get into the international section Uh, for me uh, a couple near and dear to my heart a permanent extension and an increased in allocation for new market tax credits, uh, enhancements of the rehab tax credits. Um, they got hurt in the uh, Tax Reform Act. They're trying to give some of that back. And um, in the R&D tax credit space, a referral on the requirement to amortize the R&D costs as far as the uh, deduction side of it. Anything? Any other ones out there for you, Sarah?
2: yeah probably the most the most interesting one uh is the one related to qualified conservation easements and that it is applicable not today not yesterday and not in January but all the way back to 2016 and 2018 a retroactive application of the limitation limiting deductions for qualified contribution easements to no more than 2.5 Times the uh, investment. Um, this is again designed to curb an area that the IRS and Congress members of Congress have thought to be abusive. Uh, but it is very interesting that it is is going back with a retroactive application of this provision. Uh, one other area, there's been some changes again in the uh, uh, qualified plan area requiring more employers to have automatic contribution plans for their employees, again, trying to build up those uh, retirement savings for all employees who are working and trying to get get as many employees as possible into those plans, along with some credits, increasing credits for employers to help them implement these plans.
1: Alright, so thank you, Sarah. Now we're going to move on to the international tax provisions with Brian. Um, So, you know, when we're looking at the scoring, we've been talking about earlier, international tax is one of the areas which is is really providing a lot of the uh, revenue to offset some of the infrastructure costs. Uh, so Brian, why don't you, you know give your overview, you know, just a big picture overview on all these provisions, and then we'll get down into some of the uh, specific provisions.
0: Uh, thanks, Brooks. I, you know, it's it's very easy to understand rate increases and how that impacts. Um, but international is such a big revenue raiser, and I think people, it's all in the details. So it's it's nice to get out of the trees and kind of understand what are they doing from an international perspective that's driving revenue raising. I think the big thing is they are um, continuing to narrow the ability for companies to earn money offshore in legitimate foreign subsidiaries without bringing that money back for taxation here in the U.S. And then on top of it, they are limiting your ability to get a foreign tax credit for taxes paid overseas. And so what that really means is a corporate taxpayer that is thinking, my rates are going to go from 21 to 28, or in the other bill to 26.5. With the credit disallowance and the way the rules work, you really could see your rates going from 21 to 40 to 45% on a global effective rate basis. And that's really the impact from an international
1: perspective. So let's play uh, acronym uh, Jeopardy here. So we'll start <laughs> with city What's FITI? What's the elimination of FITI? What does that mean?
0: FITI, or Foreign Derived Intangible Income, which The name doesn't even tell you really what it is, but the whole opportunity there was for exporters or companies that sold products and goods and services overseas to obtain a special deduction. Um, But what that's doing now is they're looking at repealing that deduction in the Biden plan um, completely or reduce a reduction. And then in the House Ways and Means Plan, they're looking at reducing that, but it would be – reduced. So in the House Ways and Means, they'd keep the fifty, but they would limit it, the deduction amount to what they call about 22%. So the effective rate on fifty would now be, instead of 12 and an eighth percent, it would now be 20.7%. So still a benefit in the House Ways and Means version. Biden's version, you get no benefit. You're going to be taxed on exports at 28%. In the House Ways and Means, it, you get a benefit, but it's greatly narrowed
1: at least a more reasonable approach in this version of the provision, I believe. All right. Guilty. Guilty. Guilty's got
0: a lot. So, guilty is global, intangible, low tax income. And really, that's what I call anti deferral. When I mention companies earning money offshore and foreign subsidiaries doing legitimate business manufacturing, that you used to could defer that money offshore and not bring it back to the United States till you actually had a dividend. Guilty doesn't do that, guilty taxes the income immediately back in the United States. Under the current regime, however, the most you could pay with credits is 10.5% tax rate. Now, with the Biden thought, they would essentially reduce that to a 25%, so you would be at 21% tax rate on guilty income. Um, The deduction in the House Ways and Means to get back into the number would essentially get you to 16.5%. So we're at 10.5%. You could go to 16.5% under House Ways and Means, and then under Biden, you would go to 21%. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is that there used to be a provision for an exemption. If you had tangible property overseas, you'd get a 10% rate of return on that, and that was exempt from guilty income. Biden would eliminate that altogether to 0%. And then the House Ways and Means has proposed a a. Reducing it from a 10% to a 5%. So, splitting the middle. Also, guilty would become a jurisdiction by jurisdiction test. So, for example, today, if you made money in Thailand, but you lost money in the UK, under the guilty provisions, you would get to offset those two to come up with your net income. In the proposals, it would adopt a jurisdiction by jurisdiction approach. So if you made money in Thailand, you would get hit with a guilty, and then the loss in UK would say stay stranded. So very deliberate there in their um, approach to not allowing you to do global averaging for your, your income under guilty. Um, in addition, they have imposed or want to impose what I call country by country foreign tax credits. So you would not be able to offset UK taxes against your Thai taxes when you calculate your foreign tax credits. And all that really means is further difficulty in the ability to get an offset against income brought back into the United States. Your foreign income. So it's just in a means of raising. And when you look at the scoring, that's what it is. It's a re- it's a revenue raiser. Um, you want to touch briefly on BEAT? Sure. On BEAT, um, what they're looking at is um, in the Biden administration, they're looking at replacing BEAT altogether with something called shield stopping harmful inversions and ending low tax developments and essentially what they would do in the biden administration is so that if you made payments u.s payer to parties that are in jurisdictions with low taxes lower than 15 percent they would become non-deductible payments so it's really what you hear in the news the global minimum tax that's the way the u.s would ensure that people could not operate in jurisdictions with low minimum tax the house ways and means is taking a a different approach and they're just changing um the rules related to beat um such that it would be tighter and more companies would be drawn in and especially our middle market companies they would be lowering the threshold and more companies would be into the beat uh provisions um in conjunction with that they want to tighten what i call the anti-inversion rules And that really means if you're going to be bought out or you want to become a foreign parented company, um, the rules are going to be tightened even more and would be even more difficult to to achieve foreign parent status. That is in the Biden administration. The House Ways and Means version, we've seen no mention of that. So it it didn't look like it made it in, at least in this round.
1: All right. Complicated stuff. Do you have any uh, final uh, wrap up comments on the international tax stuff, Brian?
0: Yeah, I, I think the big thing, you know, as we all know, the, this is going along quickly and we, we you know, if it's going to take place, it'll take place sometimes fall, winter before the end of the calendar year. One of the big things is companies that do have what I call profits short offshore right now that are eligible for a special provision called the dividends received deduction, you can bring that money back and not pay any tax on it currently under what we call our territorial regime. The Biden administration is looking at eliminating that altogether. And then the House Ways and Means is looking at changing that so it only applies to companies that are invested in what I call controlled foreign corporations, you know, where you have a control relationship. In addition, those provisions would take place at the date of enactment. So if you were looking at foreign distributions and you always make it in December and it comes after the date of enactment, you might get caught up in these new rules if they get Implemented.
1: I guess my again, I'll just say my takeaway on the international uh, proposals. It's very complicated, very dramatic in the extent of the changes that it will be making into the tax law potentially, and also very dramatic in the potential impact it can have on any business with international operations. So uh, we encourage people to really start the planning sooner than later. Uh, what uh, you're not able to change things on a dime in that space so uh, the sooner the better proactive uh you know definitely encourage proactive all right sarah do you have any more uh, final comments on this so just
2: wrapping up brooks i think there are many opportunities to consider there's lots of detail in these plans we'll just have to wait to see how many actually survive the legislative process between coming through the house and also through the senate and make it into final legislation but we've at least been given a chance to, to peek through the window and see where they're actually wanting to go uh, and where this might might lead us.
1: All right. Thank you, Sarah. I totally agree. It is definitely beneficial to see uh, the legislative language and get more clarity and details on what is being proposed. Uh, again, still a long way to go. We highly encourage people to be looking at the bigger ticket items and to be planning accordingly. All right, so that concludes today's podcast. Thank you for listening in on our discussion on the potential uh, provisions contained in the Ways and Means Reconciliation Act Bill, quick disclaimer that we are not providing tax advice on this podcast. Please consult with your tax advisor, hopefully at Cherry Becker, with your specific tax issues or to discuss information from today's podcast. Check out the firm's website at cbh.com for the latest guidance and materials on this and other tax and business topics. Uh, thank you, Sarah and Brian. Thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. We truly appreciate it. Uh, this is a wrap. Please like, subscribe, and share. Call it a day and go forth in peace.